Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. Excited to have you with us today. We are going to talk about a topic that's, I think, really touchy for quite a few therapists. Finances. Money. I have that ludicrous song. (laughs) has nothing to do with money actually shake your money maker <laughs> it's just you just have the lyric i just have like the mo- like the way he says money in my head <laughs> but we have danced around doing a topic on this for almost two years yeah that says something it does say something yeah well before we dive in we do want to just quickly share mm-hmm. um as some of you may have seen on social media abby is officially a consultant for Yay. emdr And she's going to be starting an EMDR um, consultation group for those seeking EMDR certification. Yeah. So feel free to email us at the whole therapist email, or you can email me directly. And we'll link it in the show notes. Sure. Yep. If you want to sign up, it'll be monthly on Thursdays, starting April 14th from eight to 10 Mountain Standard Time. Great. And then I have been inspired by Abby, so I'm going to, I've begun my consultant and training for EMDR. Yes. So if folks are looking for individual work to work towards certification, then you can certainly reach out to me. Again, you can email us at the Whole Therapist Institute, and we'll just link our personal information in the show yeah. notes as well. I'm so excited that we're both offering EMDR-specific Mm -hmm. consultation. It feels really good to merge this modality specific Mm -hmm. with this framework of IPNB. Yes. Yeah. If they just blend beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back to kind of talking about money, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, right? We have to charge for these consultations for for group. And these are all things that all of us as therapists have to decide of what we charge. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we charge, at least in the field, talks about like, what are you worth? Right. Which doesn't feel like the right question. Yeah. And I guess I'll say too, as we get into it, if you're in community mental health or an agency, this conversation may or may not apply as you maybe think about private practice in the future, Mm -hmm. or even just consider, um, typically we don't pay, in my opinion, therapists nearly enough who do agency work for the level of like the workload. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's reason for that. Like it's a broken system. Yes. Um, So I, I think that you could hang with us and just consider how money sits in your body, even as we start talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of our conversation today is going to be geared more towards private practice and setting rates and our relationship with money. We are not going to tell you what to do. Yeah. So I'll just tell your left brain that now. We can't tell you what to charge. 
And we're very much on this journey with you. Like we're not experts in financial healing. No, no. (laughs) I think it's so great. I have a couple supervisees who had a previous life and like worked and like majored in business. Yeah. So I think that comes in really handy. Totally. I guess where we should start maybe is like our relationship with money. Do you remember the first time that you had to decide what your rate was going to be and like what came up when you were deciding that? Yeah. As a social worker, I never dreamed I would be in private practice and it was not my goal like in school. And I am so grateful as a mother and a person that that's been the right fit for me now, but it was so jarring and dysregulating for me to imagine charging people mm-hmm. if I couldn't take their insurance. It's one of the reasons I initially took Medicaid that felt really important to me mm-hmm. to make mental health care accessible. It's the reason I'm still taking like two insurance panels mm-hmm. um, or have a contract with the county sometimes. But I do, I remember being like, well, what do I bring? It's hard to quantify. It's invaluable what we do as therapists. yeah, And yet we do need to meet our own needs for ourselves and our families and our homes. And I had a hard time and I totally lowballed it, I guess, to answer your question. Oh. I erred on the side of like, let me just not charge that much yeah, and just see how that goes. And it's been kind of this tiptoeing into, okay, I think I have enough training and years in the field. Even now I should raise my rates for our area. Mm. And I just have a hard time doing that. I really do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes back to even just like the population we serve. Yeah, right. right. Totally. Yeah. And I think that coming to terms that I can't heal the broken systems, Yeah, like it's really not about my bleeding heart. Mm-hmm. So I will charge a rate that meets my needs for time off throughout the year mm-hmm. and sick days or my kids sick days. And then I'll also allow a certain number of pro bono or reduced fee spots so that I can still do what I can for yeah. the community for those populations, but I'm not going to be the one to heal a financial institution that's broken. Right. Well, even on the other side of that, right, and you hear arguments of, well, I'm going to charge this amount of money because we should all be getting paid more. Right. And you, as that person, are also not going to change the system right. that healthcare is going to get that amount of money. I know. And I've done it a couple ways of taking Medicaid, then not and being private pay only now kind of having a blend of private pay and insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels more settled in my body of making those choices and how to have those conversations with clients when you're raising rates. And, but it's been years and years of dysregulation around it. I mean, money, I for sure have like a scarcity, what people would say a scarcity mindset. Mm. around money and it and that even that phrase it feels really belittling because at least in like the money conversations i've heard it's almost shaming like have an abundance mindset then oh. it's like well money abundance isn't for everybody no growing up and still mm-hmm. right and so i think my own like financial trauma um growing up and as an adult and all these things have really influenced like this tiptoeing into raising rates or this tiptoeing into beginning to explore that in therapy and and who to listen to yeah. about our rates. Mm-hmm. I think just speaking to what you're talking about with the system, really interesting. This just came up with my partner and I. We were taking a walk the other night and we were actually talking about 
um, therapy and pricing. Mm -hmm. I was sending a family member a therapist and I let the family member know, hey, you know, this is what you could expect on average to be paying out of pocket. Yeah. And they said, I'm I'm confused. Do you mean that I'm going to pay that every time or until insurance picks it up? And I said, oh, yeah, we're, I'm not, the folks I'm referring you to, they won't take insurance. Mm-hmm. So that would be what you would pay every time. And so then I was talking to my partner about that and he was like, well, why wouldn't more therapists take insurance? And I said, well, for instance, there is one insurance panel that pays about $65 right. an hour. Right. And, um, he, and my partner goes, well, can't the client just pay you the difference in mm-hmm. your fee? And I said, no, we're no. not allowed to. It's like insurance fraud and $65 an hour. Like that sound, you know, when you think about we're raising um, minimum wage to $16 an hour and someone's mm-hmm. like, why are you complaining about $65 an hour? Because what you have to do yeah. for an hour right. um, outside of the therapeutic hour right. is really what we're not charging $65 an hour. So I'm telling my partner this and I was like, it's why a lot of therapists don't take insurance. And he was like, I guess I just will never go to therapy. Mm. And I was like, well, we we need to talk further about that. (laughs) And as you're talking, it's making me feel so like my hands just want to like shake something because there is enough money. Like there is enough money in the world, in the country, in this state. It It just shouldn't be this way. There's enough money for people to create scholarship funds for every single person and every single family to get enough therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's infuriating because it shouldn't, it doesn't need to be this way. Of course not. I, I think about how people say, I have insurance and I can't get a therapist. Right. Right. And then especially the last two years, we're mm-hmm. awful. Mm-hmm. We're awful. Every single person can benefit from a therapist right now. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. I'm even just thinking about uh, folks that do um, primarily couples or family work. Mm-hmm. There's so much more that goes into couples and family work. Yes. And insurance companies, if you were to bill family oh. therapy with client. Why is this? Or family therapy yes. without client, it's significantly lower. And we know that relational work <laughs> is what's the most healing I know. It's crazy that it these is. insurance companies haven't gone on board with like, oh, if we might pay more for family therapy, these people would be in therapy le- for less longer. I know. I it just, you know, honestly, Victims Comp does the same thing. They pay less for family work. I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and so we're talking about these systems, right? Government systems, healthcare systems, mm-hmm. county, and then all the way down to our family systems of what money did and didn't mean. Yeah. Right. So for some of you listening, money might mean status. Mm -hmm. I know for me, it it means security. And in my own story, like growing up very wealthy for the first few years and then losing it all. My family lost, my dad lost it all. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden having this experience of needing to help him pay bills as a teenager Mm. or like working since I was 12 on working Mm -hmm. and that is alive in me still as a therapist, like, well, money is security. And so I'm just really aware that that could be true for my clients too. Like Mm -hmm. they can't afford a full fee necessarily. So, so how do you grapple with those values, the value to meet your own needs and the value to make healthcare accessible 
Right, and then you have this layer of the fear around like the ethics of who can you charge this amount for and, right. and who gets this reduced fee. Yeah. Or if you raise your rates, you know, once one thing I've heard is they have to be raised for everybody and then yes. other people are like, No, that's not true. You can grandfather people in. Yeah. What comes up for you around money? I know as you were saying that, I was like, Oh, I guess I don't have like a cohesive narrative around it. I would say that we never went without yeah. as far as our basic needs. But I also know that we, like but the, the clothes I wore were not, um, you know, like a name brand. And yeah. I know that like I would save and save and save so I could just get this one sweatshirt from Hollister. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because if you could wear Hollister, Abercrombie & Fitch in the <laughs> 90s and early 2000s, like you really yeah. were making it. Yeah. Um, and then seeing peers who like, that's just all what they wore. So knowing that, and then I also know when I went into college, I ended up dorming with somebody who was from Northern California. And just in general, actually, the folks that were surrounding me and like the little four dorms that we had, all of them had came from some level of money. Mm. Um, I know that they had a really hard time tolerating me. I just came from such a different place. Yeah. But I remember wearing some clothes and just like, I wore this one bathing suit and the back of the bathing suit said juicy. And I was like, what a weird word to put on the back of a bathing suit. <laughs> and then, you know, at some point realized like, oh, it's a really expensive brand name. This like juicy couture, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever I just, I had no idea. Right. right. Um, I also think that even though I was aware growing up that people had like better clothing or better brands, I, I wasn't aware of like there are different classes. Yeah. I didn't know about class until getting into college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that my parents both worked, if not multiple jobs, you know, these like 80 hour work weeks. Yeah. And so similarly, like my mom used to be a manager at a Circle K for many years. And so the bring your kid to work day, I would go to Circle K and I'd just be like stalking the hot dogs and filling yes. the coffee. And uh, so just like a workhorse is you're just always hustling for money. I guess that would be really where. Um, like money is something to hustle for. Yes. In that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I relate to that. And I think that's why I've been working with Robin Morning, who's an anti-oppressive consultant mm-hmm. for the practice that I like lead. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I met with her, and we'll link her business in the show notes. She's just an incredible, we're friends, and she's just an incredible teacher mm-hmm. um, and mentor. I remember the first time we met for this work a few months ago, she said, she said something like, I'm never going to tell you to just remove money blocks or have an abundance mindset. I'm never going to tell you to do that. That has nothing to do with why money feels hard. And so being Latina, it's true. It's like, well, yeah, this has nothing to do. Like poverty runs on both sides of my family. Um, It has nothing to do with like just willing money blocks to melt away. Like what a privileged, ridiculous and sensitive thing to say Mm. um, to many marginalized people has everything to do with existing in a system that was not made for us. So in my own life, holding this identity of being white, like the colonizer and being Mexican, being the colonized Mm. is hard for me. I don't have a cohesive narrative either, Mm -hmm. but I know that money is more available to me because of my privilege. And I also know that there's so much compassion that we can bring to ourselves as clinicians or as you're listening of like, well, what is that story epigenetically around money? Like, was yeah. that even available? 
what did it mean to survive in a world that was not like there's not belonging here mm-hmm. for you is what lives in my body for women for Mexicans like it's not here for you and you have to work really hard if you're going to survive yeah mm-hmm. it's making me think of this video that will also link in the show notes but there is this woman that I um, did a training with through the EFT community and then um, at the group practice that I supervise at, we're trying to get her to do some more trainings for us. But her name is Dr. Buki and she is the owner of my relationship um, HQ out of New York City. Mm-hmm. And she does just this like phenomenal diversity and equity trainings in a variety of different ways. But in her email, she has this link with a talk that she had done with somebody. This woman comes on to the video that she shows folks, and she's talking about a metaphor using monopoly. Mm. And this is a, a woman of color, and she says, imagine that you play 400 rounds of monopoly. And in those 400 rounds of monopoly, um, anything that you build or any money you collect goes to your opponent. Mm. And I won't be able to say, you know, the way that she said it or as passionately. So I really encourage you to watch this video. It's beautiful, really moving. She says, now imagine that after the 400 rounds, you um, get to keep some of what you do and you're allowed to like start building. And she gives an example of like, she's like, that was Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and then right when you've got it all, it's just burned to the ground. You play, you're, you're really feeling good about yourself, this Monopoly game. And then it's just taken from you. She's like, and then the expectation is, is that you start playing another round and that you're just supposed to like be where everybody else is in the game. And if you're not, work harder. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I have the chills. Like every time I talk about it and think about it, I mean, she was this beautiful speaker and I just like had tears while I was watching this video. So please watch it. But I'm thinking also, Abby, about specifically your practice. You hire lots of folks um, from marginalized communities, people of color. And what we know statistically just about who's outreaching people of color for services, most likely we're not going to see a wealthy white man outreach a Black, Asian, or Brown person for therapy. Right. So Black, Asian, and Brown folks are being referred other black, Asian, brown folks, mm-hmm. right? And so then I wonder what it's like to, um, right? Like, like I know not everyone's experience is monolithic, but mm-hmm. what is it like to have these like dual kind of financial struggles? You as a person of color, your client as a person of color because of the system. Yeah. I mean, I know just from learning from Robin, who's black, biracial, queer, amazingness. Yeah. And I'm white Latina, so we're not the same, but I know that her attunement to like, I'm never going to tell you to just have an abundance mindset was like the kindest thing that I didn't even know that I needed to hear. Mm. And was so like, there was just immediate safety. Um, so I have to imagine that if you're seeing, if you're a client seeing a therapist who has the same lived experience, maybe not you know, so me being Mexican American, and if I'm meeting with someone from Guatemala, those are completely different cultures. Mm-hmm. But the experience of being Latinx in America, um, there's like a shared knowingness, mm-hmm. and there's just safety without words. Yeah, often, not all the time, but often. Mm. And I guess that's our hope in this episode is that we want 
we want you to explore what talking and being with the concepts around money mm-hmm. and your relationship with money feels like in your body. Mm-hmm. And we want to honor the dual stories that your body holds. Mm-hmm. It, the system is not separate from money. Like okay. your identity is not separate from the epigenetic implications of money. Um, and the same is true if you grew up like really financially privileged. Yeah. Maybe it's not as activating. Or if you're that person with a business degree, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, you and I can't speak to it. No. <laughs> I'm like, what would that be like? <laughs> just be chill about money. Yeah. So I think we'll just leave you with something to help you feel a bit grounded. I'm just, I don't know if Diana listens to this podcast, but I love Diana. She's an art therapist that um, works with Be and Belong Counseling, the practice. And one of the things I love about Diana is she notices the details and things. And so there's a local apothecary um, in Lafayette where I used to live, where she lives now. And they have these flora healing, like restorative cards. And I remember being in her office and seeing them and I just had to go get some and I love them. So we could, I think they have a, we can link it in the show notes, but so I I have some gratitude for Diana as I share about these cards. And the one that I draw, I drew just now is um, the hibiscus. It's this beautiful orange five petaled leaf flower with this really long stem. As I read this about hibiscus, just want you to begin to focus on your breath. If you're driving, please don't close your eyes. But if you happen to be in your office or in a safe spot, you could just gently close your eyes or have a downward gaze. Just see if the essence of hibiscus is anything that you'd like to take with you. Hibiscus. Significance of stages. Nearly everything and everyone experiences stages. We are all working through something. Hibiscus undergoes some of the most dramatic changes of any flora in just one day. Consider the speed of that change. Likewise, as fast as we move, is it any wonder it's hard to find ourselves on the same page as others? If we want meaningful relationships, we need to slow down, be present, and pay attention. If we carry on in haste, our relationships remain haphazard. What stage are you in during this time of your life? I would ask, what stage are you in in your relationship with money during this time of your life? And how might this impact your mood and relationship at work? What about the people that are important to you? Are you in the same place with your relationship to finances? So as we consider this word of stages and speed and slowing down, just continue to focus on your breath. Maybe look up what a hibiscus looks like after this. Thank you for being with us. 